Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and thank you for listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen as he talks through Romans chapter 14, verses 13 to 23, and it's titled, Love Greater Than Liberty. If you have your Bibles this morning, please open to Romans chapter 14. We're picking up where we left off last Sunday in our study through the book of Romans. You hear me say this regularly, that if I were just picking out Scripture to preach on Sunday morning, I'm probably not going to go where we are today. But one of the things that I love about us walking verse by verse through a book of the Bible is it forces us to deal with things that otherwise we may not deal with. Because here's what we know. All Scripture is profitable. I said all Scripture is profitable. I just wanted to make sure we were on the same page because that was going to change how I was going today. But here's what we've been doing Paul, who writes the book of Romans, last week is saying to us, hey, in the essentials. And when we say essentials, we mean the things that the Bible very clearly speaks on. In the essentials, we need to have unity. In the non-essentials, and that are those things that don't fit very neatly into the category of this is right and this is wrong, but it's a matter of your personal conviction through the Holy Spirit in your life. So in those non-essentials, there is liberty, but in all things, there must be charity, there must be love. That love is the most important thing. And so what he has been saying to us is, you guys are focusing on things that ultimately do not matter. Instead, let's focus on the love that we have for one another so that in turn, we might be true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today he picks up, we're going to be uh, in verse 13, and we'll be going all the way down to verse 23 Because there are some folks out there, and I know you'll find this hard to believe, there are some folks out there that think the Christian life is a list of do's and don'ts. Some folks out there that think that, you know, to be a Christian, well, there are the thou shalt's and the thou shalt not's, and friend, that is not the Christian life. Look with me, we're in Romans 14. We'll start in verse 13. Therefore, Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved, that means offended, If he is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one from whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men." Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. 
Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. So, there are three questions that I want to draw out of this passage of Scripture today that have to deal with unity, liberty, and love when it comes to our behavior. When it comes to the choices that we make, the actions in our life, and again, we know last week we said clearly that there are some things, according to the Bible, that are always right, and there are some things that are always wrong. So we're not even talking about those things. But we're talking about what we would consider to be those gray areas, things that are not explicitly prohibited or encouraged by the Bible. How are we to act The title of today's message is, Love is Greater Than Liberty. Love is Greater Than Liberty. Question number one that I ask myself when it comes to determining my behavior, the choices that I have in my life, will it hurt a weaker Christian? Will it? Now, let's put in context what he's talking about here, because if you weren't here last Sunday, you may be thinking, oh my goodness, what is all this stuff about eating and not eating? And I mean, is that what we're talking about today? So there were two groups of individuals that were in the church there at Rome. You had Gentile Christians that had come out of false idol worship. So they went to this this false idol uh, temple, they would go there and they would take the choicest cattle and they would sacrifice them and then they would cut out a portion of that beef and they would roast it or they would sacrifice it, burn it on an idol or on an altar made to a false idol, a false god. And so what would happen is they wouldn't use all the meat and they would take the leftover meat to the marketplace and they would sell it in the market. You could get really good meat at a really good price. And so those who had not come out of false idol worship, they were saying, hey, there's nothing wrong with the meat. We can eat the meat. It's a good deal on the meat. It's not like there are demons in the meat. We can do this. And those that had come out of false idol were saying, no, no. You can't, it's a sin against God to eat meat that has come from false idol worship. Well, likewise, you had the Jewish Christians, those who had come out of Judaism. Well, I guess you could argue whether they had come out of Judaism because they were still holding to some things of Judaism, particularly the Sabbath laws. And so they said, yes, we're going to worship Jesus on Sunday. We've given our lives to him. But we're also going to continue to follow the Sabbath laws, which meant for a good Jew on Saturday, there are things that you do and things that you don't do. It really focused around things you don't do. For instance, you couldn't walk more than half a mile. You couldn't carry more than two eggshells worth of water. Things along those lines. 
And so they said, yes, we worship Jesus on Sunday, but we're also still going to follow the Sabbath rules because we love God and you should follow these same rules. So it's in the context of that that Paul is writing what he is writing. You and I read about eating meat and all that, and it really loses its emphasis on you and I, but I'm just saying it would have been a very big deal to them. Paul makes a statement in verse 14. Look at it again. I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that it is nothing, there is nothing unclean of itself. Here's what he has just said. There is liberty. I can eat this meat that was sacrificed to idols. That there is nothing that is unclean when it comes to what we eat. But he says love will always ask. That even though I have liberty to do that, I have freedom to do that, will this trip up a weaker Christian? That even though the Bible does not prohibit it, will it hurt a weaker Christian? Because the Bible says that we are to be considerate of Christians who are weaker. Matter of fact, look in verse 15. He says in verse 15, if your brother is grieved. Remember what I told you? If your brother is offended. You may even have a translation that uses that terminology. If your brother is offended, let's be honest, the first time I read it, maybe even the first time you read it, I thought, are you telling me that I have to make decisions in my life based on whether someone gets offended or not? Then that means I won't be able to make any decision. Because no matter what decision I make, someone is going to be offended. I'll be, you know, I'll be honest and tell you the truth that a lot of times we determine on decisions that we make for the church, have people been offended? Then we know that was of God. <laughs> that we look at this and we're like, I'm not supposed to do anything that's going to offend... Notice what he is saying. He's not talking about just people that get offended there. Instead, he is saying, don't offend a weaker Christian. The text is not, don't offend anybody. That if there's somebody that is offended because they're spiritually young or immature, then you, as a maturing Christian, ought to consider how your conduct and your behavior is going to affect them. That if the action that you have, even though liberty says you can do it, you should not do it if it's going to cause a younger, weaker Christian to stumble. Don't do it. I'll give you an example. Several years ago, uh, Corey, the guy that plays the guitar, and I were in, uh, in South America and uh, we were on a mission trip, and we were, uh, we were in the Andes Mountains, and we were ministering to the Quechua Indians. And we were going from little village to little village, and from little hut to little hut. Uh, where's Corey? Is Corey in the worship service? Is he smoking? Where, where is he, Rob? Is he out smoking a cigarette, Ryan? Okay. Is Corey in church? Somebody call Corey and tell him the pastor asked about him. I was just going to verify. Where is he? In the green room. Corey, if you're in the green room, come on out. Anyway, I just wanted to verify what I'm saying is true. You never know when you slip out of the service when the pastor's going to call on you. 
So we're there, and we go into this little village because, I mean, well, first of all, let me tell you a little bit about their culture, the Quechua Indian culture. It is highly offensive for them to offer you something and you not receive it. Highly offensive. And so we were there, we go into this little hut, and there was a family there, and, you know, they, our interpreter was with us, and the interpreter says, hey, look, they would like for you guys to have a cup of coffee with them. Okay, all right, I like coffee, that's cool. And usually, you know, I think coffee is going to be coffee made from coffee beans and it's going to be dark and all that kind of stuff. And so they go over, they have this little basin in the corner of their little hut and there's just stagnant water sitting there. And it's, hey, Corey, glad to have you join us, brother. I'm telling a story about you. Isn't this true? See, he doesn't even know what I'm saying. He doesn't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> Can you still sing and play that guitar? Then we're good. All right. So we're there. Corey, you remember when we were in that little hut there in, uh, in, in, in the Andes Mountains and they offered us coffee? And so it was me and him. They had two cups. That's all they had. And they took them over and washed them in that little basin that who knows how long the water had been sitting there. And so then they brought us coffee. And the entire time they're bringing it, here's what I'm thinking in my mind. Please, God, don't let me get sick. Please, God, don't let me get sick. Please, God, don't let me get sick. And so they bring the coffee to us out of the only two cups they had. And the coffee is clear. Looks like water. And so I turned to our interpreter and I'm like, I thought this was supposed to be coffee. What is this? He goes, well, this is coffee for them. They're so poor. They can't afford coffee beans. But they have an overabundance of aloe. And so they boil aloe the aloe plant, and that's what you're drinking. And so, Corey turns to me and he goes, what are we supposed to do? I'm like, drink it and pray. God, please don't let me get sick. God, please don't let me get sick. God, please don't. And so we both choked it down, and, and we made it out okay. Uh, that, that, you know, you're like, well, what does that have to do? I'm just saying, we had every right, every liberty in the world, forget it, are you crazy? I'm not going to drink this stuff. I'm not, but we didn't want to offend them. Why? Because our mission was not whether we drink or don't drink what may or may not be coffee. Our mission was to earn their respect and their honor so that they might listen to the greatest story that has ever been told. And so we set aside our rights and instead we said, hey, we don't want to be offensive to them. That, that's in essence kind of what Paul is saying right here. Listen to what Paul wrote. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. verse. I'm through talking about you, Corey. You can leave. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, <laughs> verse 9. Listen to what Paul says. He's talking about the same thing here. He says, but beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Notice what he says. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, what knowledge? Paul would say the knowledge that it's okay to eat meat that was offered to idols. You have the knowledge that there's freedom and there's liberty there. So for anyone who sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, they will, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Now understand, 
We are talking about a young, immature, growing Christian. That I don't want to do anything that's going to cause them to stumble. I may have liberty, but I don't want to do that and confuse them. He says right here, hey, listen, you can go and you can eat the meat, but understand there are some young Christians that came out of idol worship, and by you doing that, it may draw them back to that, and it may bring a lot of confusion, and even though you have the liberty to do it, that's not the main mission. I look around our church, and I'm thankful that we have a lot of young, immature, growing Christians. Last year, we baptized more people in one single year than we have the 80-year history of our church in one year. And the goal, the goal is to do more this year. You say, well, why do we focus on baptisms? Because baptism is that public outward profession of what has already taken place in the heart. So we got a place that is full of young, immature, growing Christians. And I love it. I love it. Here's what they say, teach me. Teach me God. Teach me pastor. Teach me life group leader. Teach me. It is so rich and it is so rewarding. And when we talk about these immature young Christians, understand it has nothing to do with chronological age. There's some that get saved when they're 9 or 10. There's some that get saved in their 40s or their 50s or their 60s and they're still a young, growing, immature Christian. That they're the ones that we need to be considerate of and we need to make sure that we don't do anything that causes them to stumble. But he makes a distinction here. We need to understand the distinction that there is another group who profess to be followers of Christ who may be offended by our liberty. And, you know, the truth is they're offended a whole lot. And the reason why is spiritually their heart is hardened. That there's no way that you can go through life without offending these people. We read about them in the Bible. They were known as the Pharisees. They had a long list of do's and a long list of don'ts. A Pharisee is, is someone who doesn't want to be taught. We have these young, immature, growing Christians and, and then their heart and their minds like a sponge soaking up every little thing. A Pharisee, they don't want to soak up anything because their sponge is already full of their own opinion. Don't confuse me with the facts of the Bible. No, I've already decided in my own mind, in my own heart. Don't confuse me, it's made up. Now, I'm thankful to be able to report to you today that in the modern day church, we have so spiritually advanced ourselves that we no longer have to worry about Pharisees. A few folks understood the humor in my voice when I said that. No, friend, listen to me. There are a lot of hard-hearted Pharisees in existence in the church today. And you can recognize them because their attitude is this. You can't teach me anything. 
I already know everything. And even though they, they claim to have been a Christian for years, they're not interested in what word, the Word of God says because they themselves have figured it all out. Now, it is a very dangerous thing, he says here, to offend a young, immature Christian, but those that are pharisaical are just set in their ways. And you're not going to convince them. Those are the ones that were to challenge. How do we know that? We see this happening over in Galatians chapter 2. You can read the story later. It basically goes like this. Here is Paul. Paul is in Antioch. Simon Peter comes to Antioch. Simon Peter, a good Jewish Christian, he comes to Antioch, and while he is there at Antioch, among these Gentiles, all of a sudden he starts eating non-kosher food. He starts eating food like the Gentiles would eat. Now understand, to the good Jew, that even though he's professed Christ, my goodness, his entire life he had not eaten things that were unclean. Particularly, the uncleanest of all, a pig. And so he's there and he's hanging out with these Gentile believers in Antioch and Paul is there and Paul's like, listen man, there is great freedom in Jesus Christ. I want to introduce you to something and then it's going to change your life. It's called barbecue. <laughs> and I can see him eating a little bit of bacon. I mean, you can't eat a little bit of bacon. I can see him eating a lot of bacon. Probably had a bologna sandwich every now and then. And he's there and he's like, all right, I'm in Christ and I'm no longer held hostage by these do's and don'ts, right? By these uh, uh, laws of Judaism. I don't have to worry about that. It is now my hope and trust is found in Christ. And all of a sudden, some Jewish believers come from Jerusalem to Antioch. And when they showed up and Paul walks up to Peter, or excuse me, yeah, Paul walks up to Peter and he's like, hey man, I went ahead and just, I made you a BL t right here and i held the l and the t and i loaded up on the b here you go and he's like what no 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 no! i don't eat that oh no i don't eat that no no i'm a good jew because there were other jews there and here's what paul says in galatians 2 i called him out on it i called him out on it i confronted him face to face in front of everyone and I don't know, I, can, I could see Paul, you know, if you've read descriptions about Paul that, you know, some, some of the Jewish historians write about Paul and here he is, this little crooked back, crooked nose guy. He wouldn't have been much to look at. I could just see Paul coming up beside Peter saying, oh, what is that I smell? Is that a hint of ham on your breath? What are you doing? Right? What are you doing, Peter? What are you doing? You're set free. Loosen up. Now you've gone back to legalism. That there are ones the Bible says you can't keep from offending. That instead, he says, challenge them. Don't offend a young, immature, growing Christian, but also don't worry about offending someone who is so steeped in their religious and legalism ways that you can never get their approval. I want to share a story with you from Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. He was a great preacher back in the early 1900s. Now, I want to make it very clear. I don't want to offend you, but I don't mind him offending you. I'm going to read you what he wrote. 
Here's what he wrote. Many years ago, I led a Bible conference in Montrose, Pennsylvania. There were about 200 young people present and about 100 adults. One day, two older Christian ladies complained to me in horror because some of the girls were not wearing nylon stockings. True story. These ladies wanted me to rebuke these girls for their unchristian behavior. Looking those ladies straight in the eye, I said, Well, the Virgin Mary didn't wear stockings. The two ladies gasped, and they said, She didn't? I answered, No. In Mary's time, stockings were unknown. In fact, I've done some research into it, and we know that stockings were first worn by prostitutes in Italy in the 15th century. I said as I glanced at their stockings. Later, a class of nobility wore stockings to costume balls, and then later, Queen Victoria wore them, and they became a badge of the prude. In other words, it went from being a badge of prostitution to a badge of prudery. He said, these ladies were a holdover from the Victorian era, and I did not rebuke the girls for not wearing stockings. This was all in 1928. Just a few years later, many women went without stockings during the war, and nobody thought anything about it. Nor do I believe that young girls not wearing stockings led to the disintegration of moral standards in the United States. That's crazy. We hear that and we're like, how ridiculous is that? I'm telling you, in 1928, that was a gutsy guy. Had a lot of guts, didn't he? Calling these ladies out who were legalist. Here's what he said. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. And he just told them what the true word of God was. Now, we may not be debating today whether... Ladies should wear stockings to church. But we have our own issues, don't we? Remember I told you last Sunday that I'm a recovering legalist. Some days I'm recovering a lot more than other days. And I was raised. My mother only wore a dress to church. Because ladies don't wear pants to church to worship. Uh... I never wore blue jeans to church growing up because you don't wear blue jeans to church. Something else I never did, nor did we discuss it because it would not even have been an issue to discuss because you knew the answer. I was raised and I was taught that when you walk into a building, you don't wear a cap for a man. You don't wear a cap, and especially... You don't wear a cap to church. I still don't wear a cap today. Now, I'll never forget, not too long ago, I had somebody come up to me, and here's what they said, and I think they were well-meaning. They said, Pastor, you need to do something about all these young men wearing caps to church. And here's what I said. I'll not do anything. I'll not do anything. And he said, well, if you don't say something, I'm going to say something. I said, and no, you won't. 
He said, well, here's what you need to tell them. They're disrespecting God's house. They're showing dishonor to the Lord. You need to tell them if they don't take their caps off, then they don't have to come back. And I said, do you see your heart? Hey, I can pull Scripture out of the Bible today that would basically say this, for those that are seated in this room today and their heads not covered, you're in sin. And I said, brother, we're not aiming for their hats. We're aiming for their hearts. We're not trying to get them to do some kind of behavioral modification. I can promise you, when we stand before God one day, it'll not be this. Hey, listen, I need to ask you this question. Did you wear a hat to church? All right, you didn't. Come on, you're good. Oh, you did. Go back. you got to work on some more. Do you see, we laugh at the nylon stockings, but when it comes to things in our own context, you know, there are folks, there are folks that still struggle because I don't, I don't wear a suit when I preach. I mean, I put this jacket on today because I'm just proud. I'm just proud. <laughs> proud. So I put that on. You know, I very seldom I get to wear this during football season. I thought, oh, why not today? Are you hearing me, friend? Are you hearing me? You want to wear a three-piece suit when you come to worship the Lord and no hat? Knock yourself out. And by the way, can I just say this? I never understood why it was okay for the women to wear hats. <laughs> do, 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 do you see where we are? This is a non-issue. This is a non-issue. And I would even say this to those that wear hats that may be offensive to others. If you're sitting there, I'll wear a hat no matter what. I don't give a rip what they think. Then I would say something's wrong with your heart. And then if you sit there and say, see, something's wrong with your heart. Take the hat off Then something's wrong with your heart. <laughs> do, do you see what he is saying here? He is saying, will this hurt a weaker Christian? Liberty says, I'm convinced it's all right, but love says, is it going to trip up a weaker Christian? My goodness, I'd hate to be one. I'd hate to be one that would stand before God and say, and give an account for the very fact that there was someone here that was searching, that was somebody here that was wanting to grow in Christ, there was someone here that was devouring the very Word of God, and one of, our, one of us foolishly went to them and said, hey, you got to take that cap off because you don't love Jesus. If you're wearing a cap, I'd hate to give an account to that for the Lord. Anyway, let's keep going. Will it hurt a weaker qu a Christian? Question number two. Will it destroy the work of God? Look at verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And we read that and we're like, well, that makes no sense at all. Understand, he says, listen, there's nothing wrong with eating this food that's been offered to the idols because all food is clean. God created all of it, but it's wrong for a man or a woman to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Look at verse 21. In verse 21, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything that causes your brother to fall. So we've been talking about weaker, immature Christians. And so now he's talking about maturing Christians. Now notice I didn't say mature Christians. 
There's no such thing as a mature Christian. Mature carries with it the idea that you finally arrived. You've not. I'm not a mature Christian. But my hope and my prayer is that I am a maturing Christian. That I'm becoming more and more like Jesus every single day. That, that, I'm, that I'm maturing in my faith that one day I will finally arrive. And you know when that is? When I'm before him face to face. A maturing Christian will seek the kingdom of God. Not religion. Look in verse 17. He says in verse 17, the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So he says all of these ritualistic things, all of these religious things, those are man's attempt to work his way to God. That, that, that these folks are thinking the things that they do or they don't do, that that's going to make them more acceptable to God. And we know there's nothing that you and I can do that will make us more acceptable to God. Here's the deal. God accepts us on the basis of his son and that's the reason why whenever somebody says well I'm not very religious when I'm talking to them I will say this me neither I hate religion and most of you would agree with that statement but folks that are not involved in church they're like oh my goodness so you hate religion you're a preacher yeah, why do we hate religion? Because religion is man's attempt, right? To work his way to God. And we know that man cannot work his way to God. That it instead, it requires a relationship. That God comes to man through Jesus. I heard this recently and it was so rich. Religion says this. Legalism says this. Oh no, I've messed up. I bet the father sure is angry. Oh no, I've messed up. The father hates me. A relationship says this. Oh no, I've messed up. I need the father. Legalism. Oh no, I've messed up. The father hates me. But true biblical Christianity, a relationship. Oh man, I've messed up. Where's my daddy? Where's my father? And so you always have to ask this question. And this is the difference between religion which kills and a relationship with Jesus Christ which gives life. You ask the question, a thousand years from now, is this going to matter? A thousand years from now, is this really even going to be an issue? A thousand years from now, is it going to matter whether young ladies wore nylon stockings to church in 1928? Or is it going to matter whether somebody wore a cap to church in 2021? Is it going to matter in a thousand years from now what songs we sang? We sang a new song today. I'd never heard of it before until the first service. The last song that Jen was leading us on, we sang a new song today. And there are folks that sit there and like, I don't like new songs I like old songs. Why do we have to do new songs? Well, friend, you get over in Revelation chapter 5. Here's what it says. It says that the, uh, the 24 elders, which is a representation of the redeemed, right? Of you and I, if you know Jesus is Lord and Savior. It says there that we will gather around the Lamb on the throne and we will sing unto Him a new song. 
Psalms over and over. Coming to me, sing a new song. Coming to me, sing a new song. Coming to me, sing a new song. You know why we sing new songs? It's biblical. If all we sang were old songs, we'd be pointing you all straight to hell. <laughs> we're just getting you ready for heaven. Do, do you see, though, a thousand years from now, is that going to matter? Is it going to matter? That's what he is asking right here. And so there are a lot of things in life that you and I just need to write these words over. It doesn't matter. Or here's how I would normally say it, but it is so grammatically incorrect. It don't matter. It don't matter. A thousand years from now, it will not matter. So why in the world do we get so worked up about it and fight over it right now? True story. Happened several years ago in a church out on the West Coast. So they were having a, a, a children's Christmas program, a play in the church. And so some of the parents of the kids, they put up in the church a Christmas tree. Can you believe that? A Chris there was a group of folks that were like, oh my goodness, you're desecrating God's house. You cannot put up a Christmas tree in the church. And so they waited for the rehearsal to be over that night, and those folks came in, and they took the Christmas tree down. The parents came back with the kids the next day. They're doing rehearsal. The Christmas tree's down, so what do they do? They put the Christmas tree right back up. After rehearsal that night, this other group came back in who said that Christmas trees are desecration to God's house. They took the Christmas tree right back down. The next day, the parents came in with the kids, and they see the Christmas tree down, and they're like, you know what, we're just going to wait until those other folks show up. And when they showed up, they confronted them. And they said, I'm going to tell you something, you'll not take this Christmas tree down again. This is for the play. You're making a big deal out of this. And they're like, no, understand that a Christmas tree desecrates God's house. This is not showing him honor. This is not showing him worship. And this is true. This is true. They got into a fist fight in the church over a Christmas tree in a kid's program. And then the fist fight led to a lawsuit between people in the church over whether there could be a Christmas tree or not. And you know what? It was all in the paper of this little local town in Southern California. And why in the world do you and I think that people out there who don't know Jesus Christ think that Christianity is just a bunch of non-essentials that don't matter? Can I tell you why they think that? Because you and I are the world's worst. We want a minor on the majors and major on the minors. But a maturing Christian, instead of demanding his rights, he yields his rights. He yields his rights. Friend, I'm telling you something. I'd show up here Sunday after Sunday if all we had is Wayne up here on spoons singing about Jesus Christ and his glorious mercy and grace and people getting saved. I'd be the first one here. I'd polish his spoons every week. I'd say, Wayne, you play those spoons to the glory of Jesus. Folks are getting saved today, friend. That's why we're here. Do you see we focus on things that does not matter? Y'all think I'm making a big deal out of nothing. Listen to what Galatians 5.13 says. You, my brothers, were called to be free. 
But do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Yield. That's what it means. That a Christian, well, the greatest right of a Christian is the right to yield their rights. The greatest right of a Christian is the right to yield their rights. Now, what is a yield? You know, there is this uh, triangular sign, a yield sign. And if you're driving around town, especially some parts of our town where they have all these roundabouts, that's the craziest thing in the world. Why do we need all these roundabouts? Well, you know, you got all these roads coming. I get that, but you got to yield four or five times at the roundabout. Now, yield, when you see that sign, I know some of you don't know this, here's what it means. If there's a car in the lane, that I'm going into and they're coming around, guess what? I stop. I yield. You don't sit there and say, you know what? I'm in my car. I'll do whatever I want to do. I'm an American citizen. I pay my taxes. If I want to pull out, I'll pull out right now. Well, how foolish would that be? You yield. They're in the lane. You wait for them. You put them above yourself verse 9 of Romans 14 this is the key issue we read this last week for to this end Christ died and he rose and he lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living so here's what he is saying that the Christian life is a surrendering a yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and so Jesus is the one who sets the Christian free from trying to please God through a system of rules and regulations and since salvation is wholly a work of God's grace that there is nothing that we could do or nothing Nothing we could not do that would ever bring us closer to God. That neither, he would say, neither eating meat or not eating meat could ever make us one single tiny bit more acceptable to God. Salvation, forgiveness of sin, a right standing with God have nothing to do with your list. He says has nothing to do with the food that's on your plate. He's saying, you guys are now free to eat whatever you want to eat. If you want to eat a rhinoceros, eat a rhinoceros. If you want to, I don't know, if you want to grill an armadillo, grill an armadillo. If you want to have possum souffle, help yourself out, do it. And then he even says, for those of you who only want to eat vegetables, and I'm going to add this in my little paraphrase, why? <laughs> why? But he says, hey, if, you, if that's all you want to do, then... Do that. Just don't try to impose that on everyone else. So he's talking about Christian liberty. Christian liberty applies in many areas of life. That you're free to marry or not as you prefer. You're free to take a new job or keep the old one that you've got. You're free to live wherever you wish. You're free to observe a holiday or not. You're like, Halloween's right around the corner. Is it okay for me now as a Christian to observe Halloween? Here's what I would say. I would say you don't worship the devil. You don't do anything that would be uh, contrary to scripture you don't put much stock or, or much faith in, in, in what is happening with that holiday if you're like well I just want to dress up and get a lot of candy then dress up and get a lot of candy it'd be great if I could say alright go to Galatians 3 4 do not trick or treat on Halloween make it much simpler wouldn't it but you're now free you're now free 
to observe a holiday or not. You're free to choose a career that fits your gifts and talents. You're free to eat or drink what you like. You're free to attend the church of your choice. You are free, truly, absolutely, honestly free that Christ has liberated you from the terrible burden of having to prove your worth by keeping a set of rules, that you are free from the law, that you're free from rule keeping, and you are free to make responsible choices. And the New Testament never leaves that matter uh, at that point, however, because I, I don't want you to walk out of here and grab hold of a teaching that might somehow be confused with this selfish hedonism. Don't walk out of here and say, well, that means I can do whatever the world I want to do. I've got freedom in Christ. I can do anything with my life that I want to do. The truth is God has set you free so that you might please him through the choices that you make. That you are completely free to love God. He, he has set you free so that you might serve Him. And you might please Him and follow Him. Fulfill His will for your life. But I want to tell you something you're not free to do, friend. You're not set free to sin. That's not liberty. We're free in Christ we can do anything the Holy Spirit of God allows us to do, but what Christ has called us to do is to follow Him and serve Him. And even though we have liberty and we have rights, we yield our liberty and we yield our rights and we follow Him. And above all else, love. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all, love. Will it hurt a weaker Christian? Will it destroy the work of God? Here's the third and final one. Will it bring doubts? What I'm about to do, does it really test out without doubt? Look in verse 22. He says in 22, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God, here's what that means, that there are some issues that you and I may not agree on. There are some issues that the Bible doesn't explicitly speak to that I may believe one thing, you may believe something else, and that's okay. We don't need to argue about it. Why? Because it's between you and God, it's between me and God. Now, if the Scriptures speak to it, we agree on it. But we've already established there are some issues that are non-essentials. Between you and God, between me and God. That that's what liberty says, but love always asks the question, can I really do this without doubt? So quickly, how do we ask that? How do we do that? How do we, how do we figure it out? Remember last week I gave you three questions to ask when it comes to these non-essentials, whether you should do this or you should not do this in your life? I want to I talk about those three questions and I want to add two more this morning. Remember last week I said, is it prohibited in the Bible? Is it prohibited? It was so funny to hear some of our teenagers after last Sunday's service who said this, I'm never going to eat another vegetable again. I'm going to go out and I'm going to start smoking cigarettes. And I'm like, well, there's, there's a problem with that. The Bible says to obey your parents. That as you obey your parents, you obey the Lord. Right? 
And so we know how the Bible speaks to that. So it's not you sitting there saying, well, I can do whatever in the world I want to do. No, no. I, you, you, you do what the Bible tells you to do, that that trumps everything. I'll never forget several years ago, I was speaking at a youth camp. And at the end of one of the sessions, there were some students waiting to talk to me. And there was one young man that waited till all the rest of them filed through. And he was at the very end. And he walked up and he said, hey, listen, next week I start my senior year of high school. And you know what? I'm sick and tired. My parents tell me how to do everything. They tell me what time I got to go to bed. They tell me what time I got to be home at night. They tell me what, what, where I can go. They tell me how much money I can spend. They tell me this and they tell me that. They're always telling me I got to do this and that. You know what? I'm sick and tired of it. I've decided that as soon as I graduate from high school in a few months, I'm going to join the Marines so my parents will quit telling me what to do. And I asked him, I said, now let me get this right. You're going to join the Marines because you're sick and tired of your parents telling you what to do. He said, that's right. I said, sounds like a great idea to me. <laughs> I got a feeling that uh, that attitude changed just a little bit, right? No. Apply what the Word of God says. You, you may be free to do that, but you may choose not to because you want to be pleasing to God. Is it prohibited in the Bible? The second question, can I ask God to bless this behavior? That before you do this thing, can you honestly, with a clear conscience, say, God, I ask you to bless this that I'm about to do, and I thank you for it. There may be a lot of things you can't do with a clear conscience. The third one, remember what we said? If Jesus returned, would I be ashamed? If Jesus returned, would I be ashamed doing this? Listen to what this says. This is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Now little children abide in him, so you may have confidence before him and not be ashamed at his coming. Every now and then I'll have students that'll ask me this question. How far is too far to go when it comes to dating? I mean, kissing, holding hands, hugging. How far is too far to go when it comes to dating? And here's the best answer. Don't you dare be doing anything that you would be ashamed to be doing if Jesus were to come back at that very moment. And I was always taught this. You always keep a real thick, large print KJV Bible between you and your date. Right there, on the seat. Hey, that's not only true for students. Listen to me. I think that's a pretty good thing for you and I as well. That if he were to return, would I be ashamed to be doing this? But then here's something I didn't give you last week. Would it make a weaker Christian stumble? Is what I'm about to do going to make a true, immature, weaker Christian stumble? If it is, I'm not going to do it. And then the last one. When in doubt, don't. Don't. Look at verse 23. Look at what he says. It says, but he who doubts is condemned in other words if you've got to ask the question that's pretty good proof that you don't need to do it i heard about a guy one time that was back in the bedroom of his house and he and his wife were getting ready to go out and eat and she had already changed she was in the living room she was waiting and all of a sudden from the bedroom he said hey listen you think it'd be okay for me to wear the shirt i had on do you think this shirt's too dirty or i need to put on another one and she said put on another one and he put on another one and he came walking out and he said, how did you, I mean, why, why, why did you think this shirt was too dirty? You didn't even look at the shirt and you told me to put on another one. She said, well, because you ask and I know you. It was too dirty, believe me. The same is true with a lot of moral issues. If you have to ask that it's right or wrong, chances are you don't need to mess with it. 
Hebrews 13, 18. Can you say this? Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience. That is the issue. Can you live with a clear conscience with what you do and you don't do and desire to live honorably in every way? I'm just saying, guys, Christian liberty is a tightrope. It's a big valley. And if you're not careful, you'll start getting over here into this hedonism, into this selfish ambition. Well, I can do whatever I want. I can behave any way I want to behave. I can, I can live any way that I want to live. That that is a dangerous place to be. And over here, likewise, you can get over to legalism to where you say, well, I got to do this to be loved by God. I can't do this to be acceptable by God. And, and, and right in the middle, and this is the key, right in the middle, in the balance bar, for a Christian is love I'm going to love God on one hand and I'm going to love others on the other hand and when you begin to understand that love is much more important than liberty then you'll be able to walk that tightrope of liberty and you'll enjoy the Christian life and you will be a blessing to other people look, 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 look in verse 15 again Here's the central reality of the Christian faith. Paul warns us against destroying your brother for whom Christ died. You say, how is it the central issue? Because the central issue is Jesus Christ. He's the central issue of time and eternity. Nothing is more important than the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything else pales in comparison compared to the mighty work that he accomplished 2,000 years ago on the cross. Please hear me, friend. When you stand before God, God is not going to ask you, did you eat meat? You stand before God, God's not going to ask you, did you drink wine? He's not going to ask you, did you vote Republican? He's not going to ask you, did you go fishing on Sunday? He's not going to ask you, ladies, did you wear nylon stockings? He's not going to ask you, did you dare ever come to church wearing a ball cap? No, those questions won't be on the agenda when we stand before the Lord. He'll ask us one question and one question only. What did you do with my son? And on that great day, the only thing that will matter is what we did with Jesus Christ. Did we love Him? Did we serve Him? Did we believe on Him as Lord and Savior? Did we attempt to follow Him the best of our ability? Nothing else really matters. Jesus is the central issue. Hear me. Always has been, always will be. The central issue. And so what are you saying here is, hey, there are some things that we unite on because the Bible very, is very clear about that. And then there are some things that you may believe one way, I may believe another way. The Bible's not real clear there. It's a matter of personal conviction as the Holy Spirit of God works in our own lives. But let's understand, let's lift high Jesus Christ and let's focus on loving others. Let's not take our liberty as a license to cause a... a immature, weaker Christian to stumble and above all else lift high Jesus because all these secondary things they're going to take care of themselves they're going to take care of themselves 
a thousand years from now, none of this will matter except Jesus. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www.highland, and it's H-I-L-A-N-D, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, Our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.